When sharing your faith with a Latter-day Saint, it helps to know what their church has taught on several basic topics. For this reason, Mormonism Research Ministry has provided its Crash Course Mormonism. Crash Course Mormonism includes concise articles highlighting what LDS leaders and church manuals have taught on issues that will probably come up in a typical conversation. You can find these informative articles at CrashCourseMormonism.com. That's CrashCourseMormonism.com. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, we hope you enjoy this repeat broadcast. It's Fan Mail Friday. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Recently, Eric and I were speaking at a Christian church in Utah, and we were giving one of our symposiums, a four-hour symposium, and I was not aware that this church had some speakers set up to where you could hear what was being said in the church building out in the parking lot. And apparently, I guess there was at least one neighbor who was listening to some of the things that we were saying. So why don't you talk about that? Because he wasn't too happy with some of the things that he was hearing. No, he didn't like what he had heard. And he exaggerated a few things and wrote to the pastor. And the pastor had forwarded that to me. So I took the liberty to write him back. Well, the next day, he wrote me an email back to respond to mine. And I want to read part of it, and we can discuss what are some of the arguments he used. And by the way, he's not a Latter-day Saint, or at least he doesn't claim to be. I'm not sure if he's a practicing or non-practicing Roman Catholic, but he uh, was an altar boy, he said. So he starts off by giving an analogy, and uh, this is the analogy he gave. He said, two international students come to the United States, each assigned to investigate what Republicans stand for and believe in. One chooses to interview the RNC, the other the DNC, the Republican National Committee or the Democratic National Committee. You can imagine how different the reports are. One states they believe in the Constitution, rule of law, free trade, a capitalist market economy, lower taxes, smaller federal government, a strong defense, protection of the unborn child, marriage between a man and a woman, and the American dream where anyone can get ahead with hard work. The other report says they are bigots, Homophobes, hate mongers, disdain immigrants, are waging a war against women's rights, only care about the rich getting richer, ignore all minorities, and oppress the poor. And so based on your presuppositions, Bill, what he's saying is you're going to come across uh, how this is, and the immigrant's going to get two different reports. It's going to sound so different. But what, right off the bat, his analogy starts to fall apart because it sounds like the one side of the story is merely dealing with the ad hominem fallacy, not really dealing with the issues themselves, but more name-calling. And certainly we don't do that in our presentations. We try very hard to cite primary sources that come from the writings of Mormons themselves and from the church itself. I would say at the very beginning, I would find a problem with his comparison here. But yeah. go ahead. Yeah, and then he, uh, he goes on right after that analogy, and he says his point is this. When you are defining 
you say accurately the LDS faith or any faith that you do not profess or believe in to others, a faith that's Mormon, that you at a minimum disagree with has inevitably embedded into your dialogue your personal bias against what they believe in and stand for. Your judgment is at least clouded with half-truths or misconceptions. I feel, in my opinion, you are fostering intolerance, if not outright anger. To have it yourself is one thing. To propagate it into beliefs of others is what I have a problem with. If I want to understand more about the LDS faith, I would at a minimum ask them. I do not recall hearing any LDS speakers at your symposium this past weekend. Even in court, both sides get to present their arguments. Well, don't we kind of let them speak by citing Mormons from their own sources? I mean, again, we go back to this using the primary sources. And that's exactly right, because what most of our symposium and your lecture on the temple is all about is laying out what the leaders have said. Now, I find it interesting because I wrote them back on this email, and on this point, I said, actually, there was a Mormon in the audience on Friday night when when we did the uh, talk on the temple, and he was asked by one of the pastors what he thought, and he quibbled on a few things. Uh, I guess you didn't always use the middle a name of some of the the leaders, and he said that wasn't polite or something of that effect. Oh, I, I do remember him because he did ask me why I did not always use the middle initial or the middle name of some of the leaders, right. and it certainly isn't something that I was conscious of doing. But, but the, yeah, pa- the, pas- right. and the pastor asked that person. In fact, this person apparently listens to our uh, radio show, a faithful Latter Day Saint, and said that overall the information was accurate, except for maybe a few nuances, and he didn't maybe agree with the conclusion. And we wouldn't expect him to agree with all our conclusions. But as far as the layout of it, he did approve. And in that sense, I would say there was a Mormon approval of the things that we were saying at these meetings. Besides, what would we want to do at a a meeting like this? Have a Mormon come up and talk and then just use the same language and it would be confusing and it would lead probably to arguments anyway and it would be divisive. The example that I often give is I had a very long conversation with a Latter-day Saint who heard that we were going to be speaking in the state of Virginia and he called up with that very same complaint. Why aren't you having Mormons speak at these Christian churches to explain Mormonism? Well, after this long conversation I had with this gentleman, it was very apparent that he wasn't even aware of a lot of the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. And many times when he tried to relate what Mormonism teaches, he was getting it wrong. And I explained to him, this is why we don't have Mormons speak to our Christian congregations. They will probably want to focus on similarities either perceived or imagined, and a person won't get an accurate understanding of the distinctions between what we believe, because they're not going to come in there and automatically start saying things that they know are going to be very different. Mormons just normally don't do that. The next part, he talks about intolerance, and I want to read this and think about what kind of fallacies that maybe I'm thinking of, Bill, as I read this. It says, this intolerance will ultimately lead to conflict and violence. You may laugh at this, but I only point to history. The Mormons have their own Mountain Meadows problem. In my lifetime, I remember with disgust that Northern Ireland's Catholics were killing their Protestant neighbors. 
Today, ISIS is killing others of Islamic faiths as well as Christians. They all claim or have claimed to act in the name of God to be doing his work, saving their souls, and if not his work, then the work of the common good of man. The Nazis killed over 8 million. Stalin is credited with killing over 20 million, and Mao may have killed over 30 million. All in the name of intolerance of others. It all begins with intolerance. I, I think, first of all, he, he, he's committing the post hoc ergo propter hoc logical fallacy that because of this, this is naturally going to be coming from that. And of course, that's not true. If he would stop to listen to what we were saying, and we do express that we are hoping that when people leave our symposiums, that they have the first part of the name of the symposium, a greater compassion for the Mormon people. We stress that throughout our presentations. Certainly, we are trying to educate the body of Christ as to what Mormon leaders have said about particular topics that we include in our talk. We are not trying to inflame people against Mormons, and anybody listening to what we say in our presentations would understand that clearly. First of all, comparing us to Nazis and Stalin, how in the world would you compare our message with their message of intolerance? We're not intolerant of Mormons. We are disagreeing with Mormonism. And as this man is expressing disagreement with us, does that mean someday he's going to come looking for us with a gun? And that's a great point. It, it, the sword cuts both ways. And, and then he says this. He says, I believe you should spend more of your time trying to uplift the faith of your followers, being a good shepherd, and partaking of the grace of Christ's atonement, and less time tearing down the faith of others. Doesn't he sound a little LDS in that expression? He sure does. Lots of times, folks, when we get letters like this, and I don't know the background of this individual, he may be telling us the truth that he's not LDS, but it does seem odd when you go through a lot of the complaints that we receive, and they'll say, well, I'm not LDS, but, and yet they use all the LDS language that's easy for us to spot. They use words that normally a in this case, a Roman Catholic probably wouldn't use, but a Mormon certainly would. But if he's not a Mormon, he certainly has been influenced by them. And I think the the conclusion of his uh, letter, he gives three points, I think that will show to be the case. Uh, first, he says in, in his conclusion, people in positions of power over flocks of churches feel threatened by groups who might take away their members. Thus, they lose control over others and a loss of that power, which they have become so accustomed to. This, I feel, is the true focus of their fear. I feel it is the same with many dictators over nations. There we get plugged into dictators over nations. Well, that first part of his argument about the fear of losing people, we've heard that from Mormons many times. But why shouldn't a pastor have a concern over losing people to a false doctrine? Certainly, I would hope that a pastor would have that kind of a concern and want to prevent something like that from happening. And then he goes on to the second point, and he says, They may be envious of another's faith, both spiritual and secular, forcing them to act against other faiths. Somehow that we're envious of Mormonism, so therefore we're going to fight against it. The last thing, really, I would ever want to be is a part of the Mormon church. I don't want to place myself into that kind of a situation where I have old men from downtown Salt Lake City telling me what I have to believe, how I have to dress, what I have to eat, how and things like that. How I have to think. That's a good point. Certainly, I'm not envious in that area at all. And his last point, he says, finally, I believe that Satan is the father of contention, and even though the dissenters profess great faith and a strong belief in Christ, they have been deceived into acting on this contention. 
definitely not what Christ would have done. So could we turn that around and say, well, maybe that was the problem Joseph Smith had? Because when we read a lot of the statements from Joseph Smith regarding the Christian faith of his day, just going back to the alleged first vision, all the churches were wrong, their creeds are an abomination, their professors are corrupt. And then all the statements from other Mormon leaders after that that were harshly critical of Christianity. Bruce McConkie would be one of them. Just read some of his material. We say then that he is following Satan, the father of contention, by all the derogatory things he said about Christianity. And see, you can have disagreement. I mean, Christ certainly had disagreement with the Pharisees. In fact, he called the Pharisees sons of their father, the devil, whitewashed tombs. They were clean on the outside, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. I mean, we don't go that far, of course, but Jesus did. He was very critical. A lot of people say, why can't you be loving like Jesus? How about Paul? He went up on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, and he laid out the gospel in ways that they could understand. And he went to the synagogues. One of the first things he would do when he went to a new city was to go and reason with the people, and they didn't always like it. The idea of Christ in the Bible uh, saying that we should not stand for what we believe, which means that we have to explain the differences in the culture that we live in, in Utah, that there are differences. We have to be able to show those differences. Certainly we want to show positively what Christianity teaches, but at the same time, we're going to have to take a look at the religion that the people are believing here. Unfortunately, it seems that the man that wrote this email, he is a product of his culture. It seems to be okay for him to express his disagreement and judgment of us, but we as Christians are not allowed to express our disagreement with the topic of Mormonism. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.